Uncommon Sense Advice on your work life, your personal life, and God knows what else. Welcome to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. Hi, I'm Marty Nemco. I think that the art of asking questions is one of the most under-considered keys to success in professional and personal life. Now, I'll admit that I have a bias in this direction. I love to ask questions. I'm just intrinsically curious. And in my many years on uh, an NPR station in San Francisco uh, and, uh, and writing for Psychology Today, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, from everyday folks to famous people like uh, the famed GE CEO Jack Welch, the world champion magician Shin Lim, uh, physicist Michio Kaku, uh, pop psych guru Tony Robbins, expert on the genetic on on genetics from MIT and uh, Harvard, George Church, but lots of everyday people, and not just in my professional life. I love to ask questions. So when my wife and I get together with a couple, I'm always asking questions. Now I am aware that there's a certain percentage of people who don't like to be asked questions. They get put on the spot. They don't think well on their feet. But most people like to talk about themselves. They like to be asked their opinion. They feel valued. And it's certainly better than in most cases, uh, so many people just monologue. Uh, and so because I can talk, <laughs> um, I want to avoid being somebody who is monologuing. So I temper that by asking lots of questions and then balancing by sharing my own ideas so I don't just seem like a police interrogator. And so I want to share with you some ideas about how to be a better questioner, whether it be simply uh, somebody you are running into on an elevator at work, if you're going to work in these COVID days, or um, you're uh, in, a, in a meeting where you're asking questions, maybe you're moderating a meeting, uh, or personally, if you're dating. You know, a kiss of death is when you're just talking about yourself, asking questions. Of course, there's a certain irony here in, the, in this format of a podcast, or if you're watching me on YouTube, this is one way. I'm not asking questions, but who knows? I may ask you some um, some rhetorical questions at least throughout. I'll stop right there. Let me do that. So think about what I've said so far in these first two minutes and 29 seconds. Is there anything you want to remember about questioning? Either why you should be asking more questions. Or maybe you want to resist this whole idea and say, this is crazy. You want to just turn this off. What have you learned, if anything, that you want to remember from my little talk so far? Oh, by the way, yeah. You know, there are many chances for people to use interviewing skills in publications. You don't have to be writing for psychology today. It could be an in-house newsletter. It could be uh, interviewing somebody for a family history that you're going to do. It really is quite an important skill, interviewing. What makes somebody a good questioner? It certainly helps a lot if you are curious by nature. I love to learn new stuff. And I know if I'm just talking myself, I'm basically, maybe I'll learn a little more, I'll crystallize my thoughts by talking, but I'll learn a lot more by asking questions of people, especially asking a question that I'm not only generically curious about, but where my intuition says, this person has something a lot, something to say of interest. This is a, a passion for this person. This person is knowledgeable. Asking questions can be a great way for me to learn. And it's one-on-one, -on -one. it's individualized, unlike when you take a course where it's generic, right? So foundationally, it really helps to be curious so that you're constantly asking yourself, what would I like to know from this person?
What would they enjoy about? So it's not just about you. What would they enjoy talking about? But let's say you're not intrinsically that curious a person. I'm not sure I'm right about this, but I think if you're in a situation where you believe it's wise to ask questions, pretend that you're curious. What would a curious person ask? And part of this is also being able to be a good listener. If you listen your butt off, a follow-up question is more likely to emerge. If you're just thinking about what you're going to, you know, you're listening to them talk and you're just thinking about what you're going to say next, you're not going to come up with as good questions. So really listen your butt off to when people are talking. And yeah, you can, part of your brain can be focused on what you might want to say, but get in the habit of thinking about what follow-up question could I ask? And again, because you don't want to seem like an interrogator, you want to say, okay, what question could I ask? Or what could I reveal myself? What could I say? What, what could I add to the conversation? Could I amplify on what the person said? Could I offer a, a tactfully offer a different point of view? Or should I ask a question? That may be more important than anything in becoming a good questioner. Realizing its importance, really listening, deciding whether you want to ask a question that, would, that you're curious about or that a curious person would be, or to avoid it being an interrogation, should you say something? And I'm a big fan of keeping things brief. When you're in a conversation, it's a ping pong game. It's not a series of lectures. Talk between 10 and 45 seconds, each utterance, and then throw it back to them, either being quiet or asking a question. Some more tips about, so now let's take another, I'm gonna ask you a question. So what if anything do you wanna remember about how to come up with good questions? Think about it for a moment, then I'll quote, give you the answer to the quiz. Again, it's be curious, pretend or pretend you're curious, Think about what they might want to talk about. Think about what they know a lot about. Remind yourself that you're going to learn from listening. And then only ask questions because you'll seem like an interrogator. Reveal things about yourself. Reveal your opinions. Amplify what they say. Politely offer disagreement. The next tip I want to offer is in any interview, or even if it's a conversation, say you're dating, start easy. I'll take the dating example. You want to start with, you know, um, and that's why on, on many, you know, there's this show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. And the first question they ask people who call in, well, where are you from? Well, that's something that everybody can answer. And tell me about your town. It's not personal. They can all, everybody can answer. It's not a complex question. So whoever you're talking with in general, again, all rules of thumb are meant to be broken. They're just a starting place. But think about what easy question you could ask. If you're dating, it, it might be, you want to tell me where you work or tell me about your family or how'd you get, if it's an unusual name, you know, or I really love that pin you're wearing, do we, how, you know, you want to tell me where you got it? Instead of saying, tell me where you got it, do you want to tell me where you got it gives them a lot more space to say if it was just maybe it was a gift from a former lover, they don't have to answer or it's, they, it just gives them more space. It's not, it's not pinning them to the wall like a police interrogator. But as you keep going in the conversation, you can get deeper and deeper and maybe get more interesting, maybe even self-damaging, if you want, uh, revelations. I'll never forget uh, my NPR San Francisco radio show. I interviewed Maury Wills, the legendary Los Angeles Dodgers shortstop. And of course, I start with easy questions. I say, you know, what do you do with your time now that you're not, you know, you're not in baseball anymore? 
you know, any, any, what were the things you were most excited about in your career? What are your biggest, most vivid memories? Any sad moments? You know, those are kind of standard questions that make the person feel comfortable. But I had thought about a question I wanted to ask him, and I waited until the trust had been maximized. And I asked the following question. I said, Maury, uh, you know, the Dodgers had a reputation for uh, doctoring the baseball uh, when the pitcher would throw it so the ball would dipsy-do instead of going straight or just have a little curve. I said, is that true? He said, yeah, it's true. Uh, and I said, do you have any idea how it got done? And I used my most matter-of-a-fact tone of voice so it didn't alert him that he needed to be defensive. He said, do you have any idea? Uh, and it made him feel, do you have any idea that makes him feel valued? Any idea how, you know, how that happened? And he said, he was, was on the phone, so I didn't see him, but you hear a smile in his voice. And he said, it was me. He explained that every time uh, a Dodger pitcher would strike out a batter, or any pitcher, the ball gets thrown from the catcher to the third baseman, to the shortstop, to the second baseman, to the first baseman, and then back to the pitcher. Well, Maury Wills would, he had said to me, he would keep an emery cloth in his glove and he would scuff up the baseball. And uh, by the time it got to the pitcher, of course, it had the scuff mark, which makes the ball, when, he, when the pitcher pitched it, more likely to do a dipsy-doo. Well, that's clearly in violation of the rules. It's clearly a serious violation and is the kind of thing that could tarnish his reputation. And yet, because we had built trust, and I had no idea he was going to admit this, but he was willing to say something quite, quite revealing. So the message here is start easy, slowly get deeper, whether it be a romantic relationship or it be a colleague at work or it be an interview you're doing for uh, your family history, as I said, or a, a work in-house newsletter or for publication. You know, even local publications are always looking for content. And interviews are a great form of uh, print content or, you know, online content, you know, written content because it's short, it's atomistic. People can read it. It's in bite-sized pieces. It's fascinating. Okay. When I come back, I wanted to, I'm going to try an experiment. And you have no basis of knowing whether you can trust me on this. I wrote down three common examples of conversations in which question asking would be useful. I simply wrote down the three examples. First date, if I'm interviewing you, and I gave an, I wrote as an example, like a psychologist who's specializing on, in ADD uh, in a Zoom meeting. And the third is if I'm a job interviewer, I'm interviewing somebody. I did not at all, I deliberately did not think about what questions I would ask or what the conversation would be like. Because for you now, when I come back from the break, I want to, to, to simulate what the actual conversation would be without a lot of planning. And I'm going to play both roles. I'm going to play both, both, day, both people on a first date. I'm going to play an interviewer, interviewing a psychologist who specializes in ADD for some Zoom meeting. And then I'm going to pretend, uh, I'm also going to pretend I'm that psychologist. And in the third example, I'm going to pretend I'm the job interviewer and the job interviewee to hopefully to see, you know, um, hopefully demonstrate some good question asking, but also flaws in because I'm going to try to prevent pro provide a real world situation. In any event, stay with me. I'll be back in about 15 seconds. 
You're listening to How to Do Life with career and personal coach, Dr. Marty Nemco. If you'd like to work with him, email him a description of your situation, mnemco at comcast.net. That's M-N-E-M-K-O at comcast.net. Marty is pleased if you choose to subscribe to this podcast. If you're not listening to this on Simplecast, just go to how-to-life.simplecast and click on listen and subscribe. Okay, thank you stay for staying with me. I'm Marty Nemco. Uh, as promised, we're talking about the art of questioning. And it's all well and good for me to pontificate about you know how to ask questions, but I'm putting myself in a uh, deliberately in an experimental, a little dangerous situation. As I said, I have three examples of common situations in which question asking is appropriate. And I'm going to, off the top of my head, try to model what questioning would look like. I'm going to have these mock conversations. Uh, that first one's going to be a first date. Second is going to be is going to be a Zoom meeting in which I'm interviewing a psychologist who specializes in ADD, uh, and again playing both roles, the interviewee and the interviewer. And third, I'm a job interviewer interviewing a job interviewee. All right, let's start with the first date. So let's pretend I'm at the the you know in meeting in Starbucks or virtually, COVID safer, and um, we've exchanged a few emails and such. So my uh, I would start the start the conversation by saying something like, um, "I've been looking forward to this. Thanks so much for uh, making the time to chat with me. Uh, what do you want to tell me about yourself that I don't already know from your uh, uh, from your from your profile in our emails?" Well, I have uh, I have two kids, which I did mention in my emails, but I also I'm very close to my family. I have uh, I have a brother and a sister. Uh, one of them is still struggling to launch his life. He's living still with his parents. The other is a <clears throat> person who is a fundraiser for a nonprofit. Um, and uh, we get together there. Fortunately, they're, uh, they're, they're local, so we even get together in person. But because of COVID, we, we spend a lot of time on Zoom. Oh, really? Well, you know, you're more a little bit more family-oriented than I am. To be candid, I'm somebody who... Uh, just loves to work and uh, in my social life I choose to spend more time with friends than with family because I choose my friends whereas my family is, is thrust upon me. Um, uh, do you want to tell me anything about you know one of your maybe the closest of your uh, your siblings? Well I'm, I'm very close with my sister. She uh, she's the one who's got that fundraising job and um, I like talking shop with her. Uh, it's quite a challenge uh, in this environment where uh, she's trying to raise money and so many people have so many charities they could donate to. She works for Planned Parenthood and uh, she has perhaps, she's she's finding it a pretty, it's a pretty easy sell because uh, of the, the, the wonderful work that Planned Parenthood does. And then I'll, I would take over, I would say, I would, I would be my turn again <clears throat> and I would say, yeah, I'm a big believer in Planned Parenthood. I think people should have children when they when they want to, even if they've gotten pregnant because they were not reliable on birth control. I think it's really great that Planned Parenthood would help people choose their options to either have the child and, uh, and, and let it adopt, keep the child, or abort. Um, do you want to tell me your your own opinions about uh, about uh, about abortion and such? Well, it's a little personal, but I'm, you know, I actually had one abortion, um, and I'm glad I did. I wasn't ready to be a mom yet. I was 20, and I still had a lot more, uh, 
growing up to do and career I really wanted to get launched and I would not have been a great mom and it certainly would have I'll be honest, screwed up my life if I had a child. And so I did have an abortion and I don't regret it at all. Okay, I'm going to stop there. So there is an, just, you know, an example of questioning. Questioning that starts less personal and can quite quickly get quite personal. And, you know, again, it depends on the person. She could have felt it was too much or too little. But I tried to also be somewhat disclosing myself, being quite brief, so that it wasn't long lectures, uh, but asking questions. So, uh, so I'll ask you a question now. So what, if anything, in that example of a first date, do you want to remember for your subsequent interactions, whether it be about questioning or simply about conversation? Okay, in the second example of a conversation, a quasi-interview, this will be more of a formal interview actually, in this, in this example, I am a member, say, of a, a, a group of psychologists, and I my job is to interview a, a psychologist who specializes in ADD, attention deficit disorder, and uh, we're going to start. Dr. Michaels, thank you very much for, uh, uh, for joining our group. We've all been quite looking forward to hearing your thoughts about ADD. I guess I want to start with a a question. You know, we're, we're all so have some experience in the field. What's something that might surprise me about treating people with ADD? Well, perhaps the surprising thing is that while indeed ADHD medication, especially stimulant medication, works for 85% of people, for 15% of people it doesn't. And that often is because the problem doesn't necessarily lie within the person. The problem is that the environment is boring. If, if that person is an, as a child, say, is an active, active person, and, and there are many more, eight boys who are labeled hyperactive for every one girl, if that instruction in that class is consistently too low level or too high level, especially if the kid is active, not hyperactive, I don't want to pathologize, the problem wouldn't necessarily be solved by medication, but a change of environment, a more appropriate teacher, supplementation, etc. So that might be surprising. Well, yes, that's a very that's a very rich answer. Also, the fact that you, what was surprising is you told me that eight times as many boys are are, are labeled uh, ADD as as are girls. Why do you think that? Well, like everything else, we're part genetic and part environmental. I think boys have been you know are have always been more active on average. Of course, there are some some reticent boys and some very very active boys and some very active girls and quiet girls, but in general, boys tend to be more active, partly for genetic reasons and partly maybe it's social conditioning. I'm leaning toward it being more genetic. Um, so I think that's a, that's a, a core reason. Let's, let's turn away from the gender question. Uh, uh, it's controversial. I'm not sure necessarily talking about it more is going to help us. Let's turn to our, our conversation to, to if medication indeed does work for 85% of people, What's something not obvious that you could tell us about the way in which medication should be, um, which there's so many out there. There are the, indeed, there are the uh, stimulant medications, but there are also non-stimulant ones. What are your thoughts about choosing a medication and how to go about making it happen? Well, and I'm not playing back into the expert. Well, of course, it's going to vary with the individual. And of course, we normally start with a low dose because we want to avoid the side effects of stimulant medication, which can be jitters and difficulty sleeping. 
but although it's, and it actually surprised me because I would have thought before I got into the field that there would be some real health consequences for being on stimulant medication long term. But there's been, it's been studied, things, Ritalin of course is the most famous, but there are, uh, uh, there are longer acting ones uh, that, that release more slowly. Uh, and there's, there really doesn't appear to be a bad, even long-term side effect profile uh, from, from taking it. And that, so that might be a surprise. But you, of course you want to start with low doses. And generally, um, you want to start with the stimulants because actually the side effect profiles of the non-stimulant medications and I believe one is called Stratera, and I, that's because I don't know, he would know or she would know, um, uh, appear to be generally worse. Uh, so you start with a, a low dose, and you, you ask a lot about lifestyle. What is the, uh, you know, when would the person really likely need uh, the medication? Uh, is it something that needs to be slow release over day? There are, certainly are uh, time release, uh, ADHD medication, stimulant medications. Uh, or is it really better to have an all-at-once, you know, dose? Uh, so I'd be talking lifestyle. Uh, how many times a day would they be able to, would they be compliant in terms of taking it? And then I would monitor results on that low dose and, and get feedback and then decide, does it need to be increased? Does the medication need to be changed? So that's my thought there. Okay, so that's that role play. Um, so again, I will ask you, what, if anything, do you want to learn about interviewing from those, from that little role play, from those questions. I guess I, you know the thing I might stress is certainly it helps if you are a formal interviewer to have done some preparation. I chose the ADD example because I know something about it. I'm not an expert, but I know something about it, so that my questions could be more informed. And I also do like the generic question: What might surprise me about X, and what's something not obvious about X? Those are good questions. I really like those. Okay, let's turn to our third example. Um, the third example is I'm a job interviewer, interviewing a job interviewer, and again, I'm going to play both roles. Let's assume it's a Zoom interview. Well, thank you very much for joining me on, on the, for the Zoom interview. I wish we could have met in person, but that's, uh, you know, the, one of the uh, uh, casualties of, of COVID. So, by the way, I'll make a parenthetical. That's empathic. It's, it's human. It's connecting before I get to my questions, and that's always a good idea. You know, uh, as I said earlier, it's great to start with easier questions, but even before you get to questions, it, of course, it is important to spend a little time, and it depends on the person, a little time or not so little time, building rapport, getting the person comfortable, whatever. So we'll assume that I did that, and now I'm back to the role play. I'm the job interviewer. So, um, you know, rather than ask you the standard question, tell me something about yourself, I'm going to ask you, what's one thing you really want me to know about you that will help me decide whether we, you know, we're on a first date here, that will help us decide whether we're a good fit? And so I'm, I'm going to be the, uh, the, the interviewee now. Um, well, to be honest, I am a very good individual contributor, but I'm not so good on a team. I tend to get impatient on teams. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of where the group gets the rewards and punishments. I'm a hard worker and pretty bright, and so I will do better in a work environment in which you're giving me a, a task, even if it's just broad guidelines, and then let me go. I can, I'm very good about being accountable, about being productive, uh, and then if it doesn't, if something I did wasn't great, getting feedback and trying to improve it. But I think if, if this job is going to require a lot of being on teams, I may not be the best person for you. Well, I appreciate your candor. Okay, uh, another question. 
do you want to, you know, your resume said that you saved the, you saved the company $225,000 uh, through your streamlining of, of, uh, of the procurement process. Uh, can you drill down that for me a little bit and tell me what it was? Well, to be honest, maybe the two hundred twenty-five thousand is a, it's a little bit uh, exaggerated to to say it was all on on me. But here are some things that I did do. We have to we prefer to source from America, but we end up having to do a lot of sourcing in China, and yet we care a lot about ethical standards. So, uh, what I think I did well was I took the time to ask my Chinese. I had you know um, I had partners who, who work in in China and know about the companies pretty well and what are really quality companies and what are going to send you a great looking first round of product and then once they have your confidence how you crap. Um, so I did take the time to really identify some really good sources of consistently high quality parts. Uh, I think that was critical. And where I, we, I did negotiate on price, but I really focused as much on the things that end up being more cost savings, which is the reliability of delivery. How quickly can I get it uh, and in the quantities I need? Uh, and that's what I think uh, helped save, you know, uh, the company quite a bit of money and a lot of stress. One more, one more question in our little role play. I'm back to being the interviewer. If you were to get this job, what would you think would be the boldest thing you would try to do in the first 30 days? Well, you know, the standard rule is to not try to be too bold in the first 30 days, but to mainly listen, uh, ask questions, get clear about what you really expect from me in the first 30 days. But probably after the first few days and having heard what your expectations are, I, and talking to maybe my coworkers, maybe customers, vendors, I would try to think about what could be a home run that I could hit and then run it by you and uh, see if you want me to try to go for that home run or I should, you know, just kind of do what you say and uh, hit singles for a while. Okay, so anyway, that is a uh, another example of a role play um, of questioning. So what, if anything, do you want to remember about those questions? I avoided, the, the thing that I wanted to make sure you avoided was uh, to not ask the questions that are so coachable. Don't tell me about yourself is coachable. Tell me your greatest strength and weakness is coachable. You want to ask probing questions that are not as coachable if you're in a job interview situation. Okay, I think I want to stop there. So uh, just brief summary. Questioning is, I think, a much underappreciated key to professional and personal success. An, an attitude of curiosity is important, but if you're not curious by nature to pretend that you were. Also be asking questions that you think the person knows a lot about so that you, you could grow from it as well. Don't just ask questions because you'll be an interrogator. Be disclosing yourself reasonably so it's collaborative. Ask easier questions first to get people comfortable. And listen your butt off. Really listen your butt off because then good questions will much more likely emerge. And I am flattered if you choose to subscribe to my YouTube channel. You've been listening to How to Do Life with Dr. Marty Nemco. For comments on the show or to consult with Dr. Marty Nemco, his email address is m n e 
M-K-O at Comcast.net. Post-production of How to Do Life by Terry Rouse. Music by Blue Dot Session. Thanks for listening.